0: Scalability, ultimately, is around have, uh, handling a higher level of output or a higher level of, of um, business or more team members. And interestingly enough, like my past two roles at GitLab and at Cisco, both had to do with really rapid scaling.
1: Welcome to the Super Managers podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life To tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams work better together. Check it out at www.fellow.com fellow.app hey fellow managers and leaders i'm aiden and i'm the ceo of fellow.app today i'm excited to bring to you a conversation i had with david sakamoto the vice president of customer success at gitlab gitlab is the world's largest all remote company and is currently a multi-billion dollar company by valuation David has over 20 years of experience building and scaling customer success teams. Previously, he was the head of customer success for the Americas at Cisco and the vice president of services and customer success at eVault. Recently, David won an award for being one of the top 150 global customer experience thought leaders and influencers of 2020. In this episode, David chairs a framework to build and scale high-performing teams as well as best practices to onboard new team members at rapidly growing companies. We also talk about the importance of monthly career conversations and why leaders should be the last ones to voice their opinions during meetings. We're so excited to share these insights with you. So without further ado, here's David Sakamoto on another episode of the Supermanagers podcast. David, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, I'm I'm excited for the conversation.
1: Yeah, this should be really fun. I, you know, I'm particularly excited to interview you uh, because you've had so much expertise and obviously leading customer success teams, but also because you work at a very interesting company that obviously is one of the largest companies in the world that is fully remote. Um, so, uh, there, there's a lot that I want to get through today, but I guess what I wanted to start with first was uh, to ask you uh, you know, throughout your career, who has been the, the manager or leader that, uh, that you've enjoyed reporting to the most and, and what, what made you like that person or what did they do that was special?
0: Oh, that's great. Okay. I, I, I certainly have had multiple times where I work with great leaders. Even I would say my current role, Michael McBride, I would certainly say is among the top Uh, Wicked sharp, very thoughtful, caring about his team. Um, I won't go down that path. It'll sound a little too self-serving. But uh, there's a couple, actually, I'll give you a couple examples. One is my first manager out of college, uh, Mike Dusen. And he left a mark on me and he would tell me, one thing he would say is, look, my job is to get you where you want to go. And he was very clear, whether it's on my team or within our department, or in the company, or in another company. I want to make sure that I'm supporting your career goals and getting you where you need to be. Uh, And that was very meaningful for me because he would, you know, it was crazy times. It was back in mid nineties at Silicon Graphics. Things were moving really quick. We're moving, working a lot of hours. And he would force, you know, put on the agenda and force, you know, every month we're gonna have a career conversation. Um, and would ensure that that didn't get lost. And it gave me as someone on his team, gave me a lot of faith that he was there. He's got my back and he was thinking of my best interest. Um, So that was very meaningful. Um, There's another leader that I worked within his organization. And he also had a a quote of something that's resonated with me. And he said, you know, kind of loosely quoting him, but Yes, uh, for Anderson. And he said, you know, your projects, your programs are going to come and go. Uh, the legacy you build will be your teams. Um, and to me, some of those concepts are some of that building blocks of servant leadership, even before that word became, you know, something that became native to, to my language. Um, and it, there's a couple moments where they, you know, had nuggets where you kind of I think everybody through their career are going to work with great leaders and, and picking those up and, and making those part of your management style are really important.
1: Interesting. And so I guess uh, I mean, I'd love to dig in on both of those things. So he specifically, every month, even through all the madness of all the growth that uh, I think he said Silicon Graphics, uh, yeah. he, he made sure that you always had a career conversation as part of like the many one-on-ones that you would do?
0: Yeah. So he'd carve out and He'd have his folder, you know, pull it out with all his notes. And I can't remember exactly the cadence. I thought it was around once a month. Um, but whether it's once a month or every six weeks or, you know, once a quarter seems a little long, um, but it didn't have to be everything, but just like skills development or areas of interest or programs that it would be assigned to. So um, it, it was very thoughtful to make sure that a development related conversation was um, was helpful in terms of you know, feedback or, um, you know, opportunities where I could test new skills. And we would talk about those. Um, So it was really, really important. I found it stressful. A lot of times when I, in the middle of things as a team member, I got all these other things I got to be working on. But, but looking back, I realized how important and valuable that was. And then also the message that it sent to me, which was the most important thing around, you know, I'm thinking about your long-term future. And I'm here, I'm going to invest the time and I'm going to make sure that I'm supporting that growth.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting. And uh, I guess like uh, the, and, and on the other note, uh, so that this concept of, you know, building teams that, and, and having those teams be your legacy, um, what, what did he specifically mean by that? And, and the, the reason I ask is obviously, you know, in fast growing companies, uh, teams change all the time. People move all across. Um, so is it like, did he like actually mean the specific teams and the members of the teams that you brought into the organization, or was it more from like the deliverables that those teams, you know, actually achieved?
0: No, it was very much around the teams. And, and I, it, it, it's definitely resonated to me, right? So everybody in the heat of the moment, well, I've got this project that's got to get out, or we've got to close this deal, or we've got to, you know, work through this customer issue. Um, there's always something, and, and they are important. Right, and those things are truly important. But you know, as you look back on your life, like I don't really remember all of them. I don't remember it, it was Project Cheetah or this or that. But I definitely remember um, the teams we put, the teams I built, or maybe somebody that was struggling and was able to partner with she or he to help develop their skills and get over it. Or maybe you worked on a development plan and that person not only got promoted, but has moved into a tra- trajectory where they've continued to move up and become a leader or, or to, to de- become, move into roles that, that they wanted to. Um, so you know, I personally can relate to it. And the things that um, I'm most proud of are the individuals I, I helped develop. Or the teams that we pulled together and what we together did as a team. I can't necessarily remember what we did, but I remember how we did it, and the, mm-hmm. the teamwork and the collaboration and supporting each other and the transparency and the direct feedback. To me, ultimately in a day, um, it's those experiences of, of developing individuals or developing teams, and to some extent, the how we did it versus necessarily the what we did. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important, they absolutely are. That's why we're focusing on them. But I, I just as a human being, when you look back and I think of when I want to look back at my career, I'm going to be thinking about the, the people in Teams.
1: Got it. Um, and uh, so speaking of Teams, uh, you know, you're obviously very passionate about building Teams. And, and one of the things that uh, you've often talked about is uh, building Teams that can scale and, and the concept of building scalability into Teams. Uh, I'm curious, like, what is your A, you know, how do you define scalability? Uh, but also, what is your playbook? Like, what you know, tips and tricks do you have for people to build teams for scale?
0: Yeah. So, I, I mean, ultimately, I think it's the ability to um, provide more output and bring more people on. So, hiring uh, scalability ultimately is around have, uh, handling a higher level of output or a higher level of, of um, business or more team members. And interestingly enough, like my past two roles at GitLab and at Cisco, both had to do with really rapid scaling. So here at GitLab, I started, uh, there's about 40 people. We're now about 120, so a little less than 100 people. And at Cisco, I literally the same thing. We hired uh, 100 people. But the, I would say the hiring is really just a tactical measure that people can relate to. Uh, when I think about scaling, I think I oftentimes describe it as the platform, like in my role, customer success platform. But I think it applies to any any role that you're building a team, building up that platform. And when I think of what that platform is, it's that combination between the people, the processes, and the systems. Um, and I always start with the people because in Any business that, you know, I think it ultimately starts with your people, whether they're direct or indirect to working with customers. I mean, it's all of the things you have to do around um, people management, people development is right. Do you have skill sets? Do you have levels? Are the career paths really cleanly identified? Do you have enablement to ensure that when you bring people on, um, uh, you can support them and and provide an ongoing learning experience? Um, Do you have the right processes built in? Like, actually, are you supporting people's? performance, and um, career development. So uh, there's a ton of other things I haven't listed, but really ultimately ensuring your team can be successful. Again, going back to that leadership, I view my job as making sure that I provide an environment for my team to succeed, right? As a second part of that, the process, right? This is how you do your job, right? This is how you work together. Um, Again, uh, some of the HR stuff I talked about around feedback and career development. Um, How do you shift, you know, constantly looking at the business and looking at, you know, first being effective and then being efficient. And you ultimately have the right processes and operations and metrics to ensure that your team can be successful individually as a team, as a, as a company, in terms of organizing and um, collaborating together and also for your customers and partners. Uh, and really in the last piece is on your systems. And that's also mm-hmm. on purpose last Right, mm-hmm. your systems are there to support your people and support your processes, not the other way around. Right? I was in a recent panel, and they said, "Hey, how do you integrate systems in into your you know scale or in your business?" And I said, "Well, first I think about the people, then I think about the process, then I think about the systems that are ultimately needed to support both of them." Um, at the end of the day, all of that you know the people, the processes, and the systems you're there ultimately drive results for your customers, for your team members. Um and as well as for your investors, whether you're you know privately held or in the public market, um I think of those three constituencies um, you know in in all situations
1: so uh, that's really interesting. so it it's it's almost like you're you're thinking about uh, the teams you're you're thinking about um, you know ha- how do you bring someone on board? how do you get them to, i guess ramp up in as little time as possible? How do you continue to support their development um, and you know, what beyond that are, are you also thinking about, like, like in very tactical terms?
0: I mean, very tactical terms. I, um, well, there's a, there's a, a ton of areas where you can focus on in terms of, I mean, you certainly want to bring them on board. Like if I think about the, the life cycle of a new team member, mm-hmm. right? First, you know, all the, the recruiting aspect is very important to make sure they have the right fit, the right experience, right values. Um, you're going to onboard them, right? So you have the right enablement plan for them. Uh, but also do you have the right continuous learning? Like I know at, in all of my jobs, there's learning about the product, learning about your customers and partners, learning about the internal process and operations. So that's not a one and done, that's a continuous piece. Um, there, you know, as they come on, um, beyond I won't go into the process systems piece, assuming you have the right environment for them to be successful, um you also need to make sure that, that you're continuing to develop them right so do you have a do you have the right set of here's the the progression of your career and you've got the right set of processes to support both the tactical just checking in how are you doing to the, the you know development conversations the performance conversations and ultimately you know people um, you know i think the three premises that excite people people like people think of comp right I think of that is the last thing. I think generally from an employee satisfaction and excitement of their role, are they excited about the business? Um, do they have a career opportunity ahead of them? Um, and do they have a good relationship with their manager, right? Um, and of the three, two have very direct and, and like full responsibility, accountability on the manager to drive that, right? Obviously the is a bigger scope, um, but ultimately you have to, I, I think of it in that way. And to to make an, a successful customer engagement, I need a successful team engagement and successful team members.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, and I think that ties in well with um, with another topic that um, that you you've talked a lot about, which is uh, you know building scale strategies and making sure that those scale strategies are never unclear. Um, and you you've actually built a, a framework around this, and I would love for you to tell um, you know our listeners a little bit about the framework and and some of the nuances.
0: Yeah, so I think uh, if you may refer to a presentation that gave back uh, at a conference, um, but I wouldn't say it's any rocket science. In fact, I, I somewhat wanted to give my disclaimer in terms of super manager. I don't I don't consider myself a super manager. In fact, you know we talked about development. I think. Uh, most of my learning experiences came from mistakes I've made in the past of, and, and constantly, but I care. And so just constantly looking at how you're doing. Uh, but in, it relates to the, the, the strategy. I think it's a, a couple different premises. Number one, it's based on as a leader, and it depending, even depending on where you are as a leader, your role is develop a strategy, number one, um, break it down into execution priorities help facilitate the team in order to go execute those, assess how you're doing, review, rather rinse, repeat, right? So whether you're a uh, chief customer officer, whether you're a VP of success, whether you're a manager, all of those same components apply to your job, right? What are the things that you need to do to ensure you're driving strategic, strategically to ensure success? How do you break that down? Like I think of time strategy as just a longer term plan. How do I break that down into say I have a one year strategy or 18 months? How do I break it down to what needs to happen this quarter? And you can use a lot of different, like I use a uh, vision, VSCM, which is vision strategy execution metrics at Cisco. At GitLab, we use OKRs. So like, what is the framework that you want to build to say, okay, I've got a 12 to need strategy that I'm able to articulate. I've, I've, Written that down, I've communicated, I've had conversations. Number one, make sure that is well understood. Then, using whatever framework you have, or something other than VSEM or OKRs, how do you break that down and chunk that up in terms of quarterly priorities? How do you kind of divvy that up among the team? And what's your operational motion to, to define those goals? And then, you probably have some cadence, right? You have weekly team meetings. How do you work into that, just checking in, making sure servant leadership, your team has the support they need to succeed? You probably even have a monthly check-in. Are we progressing as we expect? And you close out the quarter. How do we do? And really, that's that iteration. A big part of my personal management style and GitLab, one of GitLab's core values, is iterating. Right? How do we look? You may change your plans and goals. Hey, I thought this was queued up for Q2, for example. Well, based on what we learned, it lets adjust. Leverage that communication, empowerment, autonomy. Leverage the, 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 the skills and experience of your team would make that adjustment. Great and then rather rinse, repeat. So I think it's really around defining that strategy, having a framework to break that down into execution, building that operational cadence, whether it's staff meetings, one-on-ones, um, monthly check-ins, QBRs that drive and track that for both progress and feedback and, and iterating on what those goals are.
1: Um, in, in your opinion, what are some of the pitfalls? Uh, like what are some of the traps that you know people do when, you know, a coming up with the strategy, breaking it down into components that you you kind of talked about. You know, one of the things that that comes to mind for me as an example is um, oftentimes you know I've certainly worked at organizations where you know there, there's been these high level goals that say the company has come up with, and there's almost like there too much forcefulness of trying to make sure that every single person's roles and everything they do, like fully leads into this main goal, and it may, may not really be a perfect puzzle fit. And, um, you know, th- that's one thing that comes to mind, but it, you've obviously seen this at a lot of companies. What are some things that make this hard to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, probably the biggest challenge that I see, and I, I still live it every day, is balancing that, uh, the, the time you spend on strategy and the time you spend on tactical or even firefighting. And just, right. you know, how do you constantly, because, you know, as I lay out those goals, right, even to pick the top two, run the business, build for the future, right? Those are now always supporting, you know, at least can be interpreted as the exact same thing of what you, how you prioritize and what decisions you, where do you spend your time on a, on a day-to-day basis? Um, so I think the crux ultimately is like, how do you drive the right balance? You're not being too tactical, but you're not this 10,000 foot, you know, pie in the sky. I got my strategy, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's, and it's really balancing the both. And, and I don't, it's, someone asked me like what percent should be on strategy? And that's not a question I can answer because it dirt given certain stages, you're going to be focusing a lot more strategy, like just here we are now, we're beginning of the year. So there's a lot more plan on annual planning. So I'm spending a lot more time on strategy than I would in a say in the middle of Q2, Q3. Um, but I think the important piece is that you build so build your framework and as your leader, you're making sure you're you're, take, you're stepping back. And I think it's all over those cadences, whether it's annually, quarterly, monthly, even weekly. Like I use Sunday nights, kind of like just every Monday morning, hey, how do I need to do What do I need to accomplish this week? And you know, looking at last week, looking at forward week, you know, make sure you operationalize a lot of these. You're constantly just kind of checking, checking yourself and making sure that you, you are balanced out across those different things. Um, And it's super, it's really challenging. I think there's a a piece of like building a framework operations. There's a lot around just experience and, you know, listening to the business and seeing how things are performing. Right. Even, you know, I look back, even my, you know, just a little less than a year journey I look back and go, Oh, I wish I would have done that differently. And it's about having no ego around what you did right. And what you did wrong is mostly about kind of how do you learn and try to implement that Kaizen attitude around, okay, I'm not going to worry too much. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. What can I learn from them? Great. How do I make sure I'm applying those learnings for the future?
1: You mentioned something interesting, which is uh, it sounds like on Sunday nights, you have a ritual that kind of looks, you know, the week ahead and making sure that things kind of balance. Um, What I I would love to just get into, you know, some of that in terms of like how you do plan your time. And, um, you know, are you um, like, do you have... For example, like certain rituals around, I should be spending X percent of my time in different types of buckets or like, how, how do you make those considerations? And, and also do you teach those sorts of things to your team as well? Or is it just, do you, is it just something that someone has to just develop on a personal basis or are there best practices that you've, you've come to realize?
0: Yeah. Uh, great question. You know, I would say at, um, I'll just pick a, I'll pick a week level, um, I always like to start my week clean. So I like to catch up. I like to be caught up. Like I don't like to come into my, you know, one of my rituals, I don't like to come in the week already feeling like behind. So whatever I felt like I needed to accomplish in the prior week, I like to, you know, clean it up or kind of assess like, hey, I wasn't realistic and I need to work better this week. But I like to start my weeks clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's partly around what I wanted to accomplish last week and partly around looking at what I want to accomplish this week. Um, I like to have that my look through my calendar and make sure that thus if I thought through that, am I set up for success? Right in terms of that week and have I put in the right work efforts. And I was and I and I also try to weave in, I need to like schedule time. I need to work on this thing. If I don't see time time my schedule, it's probably not gonna get worked on, right? So it's a it's a matter of kind of planning out, uh, um, planning out your week. I do follow a specific structure as well. So, Mm -hmm. I try to, and again, we all know our lives that things are pretty dynamic. I like to um, front in all my one on ones. So, I like Monday to be my time for checking in with the team. So, I generally try to align my one on ones on that first day. But, uh, you know, people's schedule, they're dynamic. It doesn't always work that way. Most of the time, it doesn't fully work that way, but that's where my concentration is. Day two, I like to lead for um, team Mm -hmm. stuff. So, we have, uh, there's a, overall leadership team. There's other, some functional meetings. I line those up. uh, And then we have our CRO meeting and there's other, other meetings, but my group meetings on Tuesday. Um, Generally Wednesday, Thursday are working. There's all kinds of stuff woven in, right? We all see our counters. Um, And then Friday, I try to, I do my best to preserve Friday as around kind of, you know, more to working time there to make sure that I can catch up and get things done. And um, again, that kind of is my goal around finish clean for the week. So then I roll around Sunday and I can kind of reset my cycle. Um, and again, I think management's all about those cycles, right? You have a weekly cycle, you probably have a monthly, probably have a quarterly, and you probably even have an annual set of cycles. So that would be my advice for any leader around, you know, figure out what those cadences are across that, you know, those, those different um, durations.
1: Yeah, that's super helpful. Uh, I feel like I'm going to go back and and retune the way that I schedule some of this stuff. Um, you know, shifting gears for just a second, you know, one of the things that, you know, is, is very interesting is, uh, you know, you basically, you know, have um, this principle where you typically don't voice your opinion or you, you may try not to do that um, until you've heard other people uh, on your team or within a group or meeting setting. Um, And I know that this is particularly, I mean, you know, the the culture of meetings and and the way some of these um, behave could be different at a all remote company. Um, So wanted to just hear your thoughts on, you know, why do that? Why let, you know, everybody else speak first? Is that, you know, even more important at a remote first company or the principle applies everywhere? Or how do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I, I think that the interesting thing is with the way that GitLab operates, and I would suggest anybody listening look at the handbook. We every single thing that we do is documented and totally transparent. Like how we run our entire business is totally available to the public. Uh, but I would state that is you know don't speak your opinion first is really a a, a small minor tactical method I try to use to really promote. Uh, servant leadership and empowerment and autonomy. Uh, and again, like, like most of my management, I think I've shaped many from mistakes I've made or, uh, you know, looking back and, you know, my own personality I've, I bring a lot of energy and excitement. And so I'm like, I always want to throw my opinion in like, Hey, I got a great idea. And I, and I like the debate, like I like to get in and, and um, people to put opinions in, but uh, uh, I've realized, you know, people process in different ways. Right. Not everybody has my approach where they want to get in a debate and, um, and, and, and work through the issue. Not everybody thinks that way. Not everybody processes it that way. Um, as their manager, I can stifle the whole conversation. Right? So if there's like, hey, what do you think we should do? And then first thing the manager says, I think we should do this. Now, what do you think? <laughs> well, that kind of shut down the conversation now, didn't it? Right? Like, I think the best option is A. What does everybody else think? <laughs> right. Well, I guess it's a, you know. So, um, you know, my my suggestion of like don't voice your opinions until everybody else has has been something I've just my own understanding myself as a leader. Um, I've thought through and said, hey, I want to make sure that I don't stifle the conversation. You stifle the conversation, you're stifling ideas. And you know, one advice to managers: if you think you're always the smart one, you're always in the best ideas. I will tell you now, you're delusional. Um, and that's why you bring on teams. You're going to have a different approach, a different way to think about things. So try to do your best to harness those conversations. Make sure everybody has a voice. Um, and be thoughtful around the fact that, you know, people are going to process and engage these conversations in different ways. So things like um, make sure the agenda is in advance. Some people don't want to just think on the fly. Some people want to think about it in advance and process it. Maybe you get some data or maybe... So try to like set the expectation up front. What's the decision that we need to make? Um, and then in the meeting, you know, like regulate and monitor. It. Has everybody had a chance to chime in? And if not, maybe you can, you know, probe them and ask ask them if they have an opinion, or maybe check with them after. Um, the after I prefer, always prefer before because once a decision made is made. But um, oftentimes that's really a conversation around, hey, the next time, how do we set this up for you can contribute. Um, so I think it's you know being thoughtful of your position in the team, being thoughtful of the personalities and how she he likes to engage in those conversations, and really doing your best to facilitate um, the conversation to bring out the best of people's experiences, their passions, um, their uniquenesses. Um, and to me, that's the most exciting. Kind of going back to the thing around you know the legacy builder be your teams. It's to me, I found that very I find that very enriching to see. And I love, especially when you're like, wow, that is a fantastic, idea. I never even thought about that. Totally different, right? And a, the absolute best way to go forward. So it's it's really, um, when you experience those, then it becomes very real and you're like, okay, this is why we do this, right?
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So I like this idea of, uh, you know, different people process things different ways. And also it, it may not be easy for people to just think of answers to things on the fly. I know certainly like I've gone to meetings and, you know, something's been talked about and, you know, at the moment, I'm not thinking of anything useful to contribute, but then the next day I realize this thing that is highly, highly relevant. Uh, but obviously if I had it before that, you know, I would have thought of it. So is there a best practice? Uh, so how, how do you folks handle this at GitLab? So is it, you know, agenda, like, is there an unsaid rule that agendas go out you know, say like an hour before or is there a particular protocol that is followed or is it night before? How is that handled?
0: Yeah. Um, it's a great suggestion. I think it's one of those, you, you'd asked a little bit earlier about whether remote or only, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily because they're remote, but I would say it's GitLab's values in how we operationalize. So kind of a structure, um, which I one of the things I love about GitLab is just its core values of efficiency. Um, and everybody, everybody can do isn't a value per se, but the theme around everybody can contribute. So all of our, um, we use Google docs for all of our meetings. They're all open. Um, team members can add in their own agenda items and recommended to do so. So I want that, you know, team meetings are for the team, not, not just, you know, manager come down and I shall, I shall give you my commands for this week or priorities for the quarter. Um, so it's really a, a meeting for the team. So I'd say first and foremost, um, it's open to everybody to contribute and design to what the agenda items are, what we wanna talk through. That's number one. Number two, we always do agendas in advance. Um, I, um, sometimes as I think about things of the week, I'll just start putting them in, whether it's a one-on-one doc or a team meeting to start putting those agenda items in as everybody can. Hey, by this would great conversation. Like maybe on Thursday the week before, hey, let's add that to the agenda to talk about next week. It's in there. So it, it builds over time. Uh, I, I'm sure we have a, something in the handbook Uh, I try to do a minimum the day night before, um, but preferably it's 24 hours before, but sometimes you're looking at the agenda. Oh, hey, they all got to think through things. So, um, again, we're not perfect, uh, but ideally it'd be the day before so people have a chance to take a look at it. Cool.
1: yeah. You know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, one thing that was uh, specifically tied to customer success. Uh, given that you know you obviously uh, you, you obviously run the customer success team um, there, so my my question is: What are some things that you have found? You know, strictly from a hiring perspective, uh, that have been good indicators of people being successful. Uh, in the customer success role, uh, org, you know, whether that's on an individual basis or on a manager basis, are there particular things that you found um, that you can do to kind of increase your odds of hiring successfully there?
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's a big challenge for the market, right? So if you think of customer success, I mean, there are people out there, but generally it's unlike a sales function or something else where you, you don't see like a whole pool of people. I've been doing sales, you know, customer success for. Twenty years, or or ten years, or fifteen years. Um, so oftentimes you have to be very thoughtful around the skill sets because I think of a success manager is you need you know a perspective of sales. I need a servicey person. I need an opsy person. I need someone that has domain or product expertise or technology expertise. So you kind of start to put that all together as a hiring profile. Like, Ooh, that's you basically designed a unicorn. So uh, you know I think of being you have to be thoughtful around what the expectations are across the those skill sets are. Um, what I generally said is like, you need strengths in two of them um, and will enable you. So you look at the individual, but as also as you're hiring, you look at the team, right? Hey, I got a lot of people from services and product. I don't have people maybe even blending in someone from sales, bring a little bit of difference. So there's a, team, a little bit different mindset experience into the, or into the team. So I think if you have to look at the individual, you have to look at the team, but I think the one common thing to your question, I look for passion for customer, right? Um, Who in, in very specifically, can you tell me about a time where you put a customer's needs in front of yourself or um, tell me about how you had to drive internally to get support for a customer need or for a customer initiative? Um, And um, I, you know, I look for people that can show specific examples of putting the customer first. Um, I look at how they tell of that story. Are they excited, right? Sometimes you get these people, they, they're talking to other stuff, but when you ask about a customer, they just turn on, right? And, um, and so I look for a bit around someone that can demonstrate those experiences, but also someone that really just has that passion, right, that, that you can see they, they care. It empathy, you know, it doesn't have to be energetic passion, but also care and empathy. So, um, you know, it's that care and empathy, passion for a customer, is that kind of underlying trait that you look for across the board.
1: Cool. I mean that that is great advice, and uh, yeah, it's it's those things that when you see someone's face light up while they're talking about something, uh, yeah, I mean that that's certainly a great thing to look out for. Um, I think that, you know, we're, we're coming up, uh, you know, against our time. So the, the final question that I wanted to ask, uh, David, was just around, um, you know, any final tips or advice that you would have for managers looking to get better at their craft, uh, get better at leadership, any books or resources or blogs or anything like that that you would leave the audience with?
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I would, I think especially new managers. You don't need to be perfect, right? So if you think about the things that are important in managers, running the business, developing your team, building the business, um, I think one suggestion would be don't expect perfection. You're going to make a mistake. Your team understands you're going to make a mistake. But what's more important, just like you're going to guide your team, is learning from that and being transparent about that and checking your ego at the door, because that will also set the tone for your, you're basically role modeling how you want the teams to work together. Um, so I, that would be the first. Uh, in terms of resources, like maybe there's a couple of books. Like they're probably not the traditional management books, but a little bit related to me personally, where I'm in a high growth. Is the hard things about hard things, by Ben Horowitz. And what I, one of the key things I like is as your company scales, and specifically for GitLab and other fast-growing businesses, you constantly have to be looking at what is your role in this organization. How does that evolve? As the, as the organization changes. And that was one of my key takeaways from that book is constantly looking around your role and what does the business need? What are your customers need? What does your team need as you scale and grow? Um, the other one is Never Split the Difference by Chris Boss. Oh, interesting. Um, it's about negotiation. And I, it's just one of those things that I think, if you think of core skills like listening, uh, negotiation is one of those core skills that, you know, uh, like I'm constantly trying to, I'm constantly working on how to be a better listener. Um, and one thing I think also is that core skill set is negotiation. Like, how do you negotiate? Um, and per the title, Never Split the Difference, never just, you're not just splitting the difference, but you can find true win-win.
1: Yeah, actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. When you first said it, I, I was thinking negotiation. I mean, sure, it's important, but but the way that you described it, which is, uh, to listen and look for commonalities—that's probably a really—and you know, I can see when you're talking to even you know customers and like they want something and you want something, you may want the same thing, but you don't know unless you you ask and and dive deeper.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's it talks about a bunch of skills like discovery of needs and articulating that in the right way that it, that a, a appeals to what they're looking for. So there's great a b- bunch of great information in there.
1: Yeah. And we'll obviously include uh, both of those uh, in in the show notes. Um, But yeah, David, thank you so much. This has been super helpful. Thank you for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, hopefully you have some helpful tidbits in in the podcast. So, Thank you again for the opportunity.
1: And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Super Managers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app/supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.